Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho, and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship, and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 9 a.m. at Discovery Church in Boise, where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday Gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption Hill. When Mr. Bilbo Baggins of Bag End announced that he would shortly be celebrating his 111st birthday with a party of special magnificence, there was much talk and excitement in Hobbiton. What story is that? Lord of the Rings. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Matt, don't, don't, don't go too early on that. Uh, yep. Once there were four children whose names were Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. This story is about something that happened to them when they were sent away from London during the war because of the air raids. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You got it. Um, call me Ishmael. Moby Dick. This one should be easy. I am an invisible man. By Ralph Allison. There we go. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Star Wars. You guys, you guys are so good. You guys are, you guys are right there. Just reading these open lines, my hope is, and I think that what happens inside of me, is that we get transported to the places that we create in our minds. These, these settings that are, that are being laid in front of us as we read or as we write. Um, with Star Wars, it's this, um, it's this view of this field of stars and, and words start to flow across, but it takes you into a place a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. In our minds, we create these places to hold these stories. And, and the settings of the stories are not just the background of the story, merely a static image behind the actors in the play, like the felt backdrop for our felt character stories that we would use um, in Sunday school as kids. The settings themselves are an important part of what unfolds within the story. The setting is what the story is. Carmen Maria Mercado in The Dream House says this, places are never just places in a piece of writing. If they are, the author has failed. Setting is not inert. It is activated by point of view. And so when we tell a story, we have to set a scene. We have to set a setting. Otherwise, it's just characters and they have no place. They have, no, they have nothing to interact with. They have nothing to move through. They have nothing to rescue. Setting is the place where all those things happen. And to understand the gospel is not just to understand a story, but to understand the story, the archetype of all stories that includes elements of every story that's ever told. It's this grand, epic adventure, a, a hero's journey, what Robert McKee would call the arc plot upon which all stories would be based or react to. We've, we've talked the last several weeks about the type of gospel that Jesus is telling that is one of hope in the resurrection by proclaiming the victory of King Jesus. 
But now we're going to dive into the shape and the purpose of the story so that we can be better at understanding, living, and sharing the story with the world. Sound good? All right. Now, now the story of the gospel is, in some ways, we have deeply, deeply simplified it into maybe just a few basic points. But in reality, the story of the gospel is really long. It's a complex story. It has important movements that we have to understand if we, if we want to get where we want to go with it. And so today, we're going to start by working on the setting. And then the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the character and the plot and then see if we can pull the whole story together by the end. Does that sound good? So all of you were hoping for an English lecture. I'm here to oblige. Um, English majors are the worst. Can I get an amen? No. Uh, <laughs> I was an English major, just to be clear. That was not rude to other people. That was rude to myself. Okay, so when we start with setting, we're not just understanding the place where we belong, but rather a whole set of places that the story inhabits. We're understanding not just the story itself, but where we have come from, where we are in the story, and where we're going. And the gospel isn't just just a story. It's not something that we tell to encourage one another. It's not something that we tell because it warms our hearts at night and helps us get through those dark and dreary places. But rather, it is the total history. It is all of history. The narrative of the created order itself, the purpose and place of all creation, and especially the human story. And that's mostly because the rest of creation isn't interested in story. Have you ever thought about that? The rest of creation, other than humanity, of all the things that humans do that animals do not and that created order does not, stories are probably the most interesting and the strangest part about what it means to be human. You see, animals don't create narratives about time. They, they don't talk about where they've come from, where they are, and where they're going. When animals get home to their den at night, they don't regale their significant other with stories from the office. They don't talk about that neat patch of ground that they found with all that food that they've been looking for. They have no way to give shape to their shared existence. Have you ever thought about this? Humans are a distinctly storytelling species. This is the highest form of being is to understand one's place in the created order and, and to devise ways to understand and be better at what we do and why we do it. Um, what one philosopher has said is that humans are meaning-making machines. Humans are meaning-making machines. We look at everything and we turn it into meaningful things. We devise ways to understand better. We, we watch, you can watch anything happen and we can build a world and tell a story and give life to the characters in just a few minutes. You can imagine, I can see a leaf on that tree out there. Lots of leaves. This leaf was probably born as a little bud in April. It started to sprout out of the tree where it had broken through the bark and had received all this nourishment, just couldn't help but burst into life. And this leaf over the course of the summer realized that not only was it receiving nutrients from the roots, but itself was creating the life that would sustain that tree. It, it discovered its purpose and it spent three months 
living out the greatest part of its existence, which was to feed the tree nourishment. And then one day, out of nowhere, he's handed his pink slip. The tree says, I no longer need you. You've served your purpose. Our organization's moving on. And they didn't last long before his health started to fall off, and then he, he literally just fell off. Early retirement led to his untimely demise. He fell to the ground and asked, is this all there is to life? Humans, you, you were feeling something about that leaf, weren't you? You were feeling, like, you're like, that's me. You, you saw in yourself the story of this leaf. See, yeah, you're not questioning I'm an English major anymore, are you? This is what we do. We look around and we create narratives. We feel sad. We feel good. We feel overwhelmed by loss and grief of that little tiny leaf. And we see ourselves in a story because maybe his story is my story. Maybe some of you have gotten that pink slip or falling off in your health. If you let a little kid alone for 20 minutes, you'll find them inevitably inventing characters and settings of plots with any materials they have at hand. A spatula, a stick, a leaf. My kids, if they find a shoebox, they're going to turn into fairy houses in my yard that I'm going to run over with my lawnmower. <laughs> I swear I didn't see them. <laughs> so, story is the shape of the human mind. It's how we store information. We put it in its right place through putting it into the history of our lives. This is actually how we remember things is by putting them in their place, in their order. The connections between our experiences and what we see, story itself is memory. Robert McKee, the great storytelling expert, he says that a story setting is four-dimensional. I got a slide for this, right? Uh, it has period, duration, location, and level of conflict. And so we're going to start today just looking at the setting of the story of the gospel and making sense of where we land in the story itself. Sound good? All right, let's jump in. Story setting has period, and period is a story's place in time. We kind of we talked about um, Lord of the Rings. Where did it take place in time? Well, according to Tolkien, it took place in some fantastical pre-existence that we don't have access to. It was our own history written long ago. When we talk about Star Wars, we're talking about a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So it's not in the future like we'd imagine with sort of technology that they have, but rather in the deep and distant past. So we go back. We go back to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Now, man, this is like some of the very first words written about existence and about God. We're talking about maybe, maybe a 3,500, 4,000-year-old text. And what they wanted to give a sense of was that before all things, God existed and the created order was underneath him. You see how the Spirit of God was hovering over the surfaces of the water. It was beneath him. And this is about authority. This is about the Spirit of God had authority on what was beneath it. And then we get to the fifth day. 
And evening passed, and morning came, marking the fifth day. And the Lord said, Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind of livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground. I love that that's how they translated that. (laughs) Just the scurrying creatures, and then those wild animals. And that's what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals and livestock and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And then he said, let's do something different. Let us make human beings, imago Dei, in our very image, to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God said, God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And then God said, Look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food, and I've given every green plant as food for all the wild animals. Salads were not meant for humans, friends. It says right there. The birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life, and this is what happened. And then God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. Now, this is obviously the very beginning, and we want to get back to the setting of the stage and those initial ways that God wanted to reveal himself in time and in space. We see a few things we want to grab hold of is that the created order is a place in which we are placed. It is the setting. The natural existence of this world and us belonging to it is this truly mystical thing. And then God made you in such a way that you could look at this world and say, I belong here. You could look at this world and create some sort of narrative about your place in it. You as humans have a particular place in this world where you're meant to fill it, you're meant to rule over it, you're meant to have authority over all things. Time itself starts with humans. And this this may feel weird to you all, but we literally can't know anything that happened before humans started telling stories. We have no access to any pre-existence because the world doesn't have stories to tell if there isn't anyone there to see it and tell the stories. If a tree falls in a forest and no one hears it, the question is not, did it happen? The question is, did it matter? If there's not a human there to see it or to experience it, we have to ask what kind of story we're telling and does it matter? We have to look at it and say, If humans are there, it's important. That's why humans are here, is to be the bearers of the story, to be the ones who experience God and bring the fullness of the created order by our unity, our connection with the Father. And so we have to start asking, what kind of story are we telling here? And modern storytelling, if you really look the last hundred years, has been this... um, It's like the Wild West of storytelling now. A hundred years ago, stories were told the very same way over and over and over again. They all had the same ways that they started and the same ways that they ended, and they were deeply focused on filling this arc plot. But the types of stories that we tell today are lots and lots of different types of stories. 
and we have been finding ways to kind of rattle around within the, the story archetype and respond to it. We have to ask, is, is this story a hero's journey where there's going to be some, some great one that's summoned to play their part in the story and save themselves and others along the way? Is it a tragedy where in the end, all things will turn out to be the sad decomposition of a person or a place? Is it a comedy where the work is to entertain and to, to surprise and to delight? Wouldn't you like this to be a comedy? It, it would feel better if we were in a comedy, I think, especially than a tragedy. Or is it, or is it a drama that's letting you into the, the, uh, the conflicts of this world and, and taking you inside the place where the, that conflict is happening? So to understand this story, you have to understand that it is a story about humans because it is a cosmic romance of unrequited love between humanity and God. And once we understand that, we, we see that the story's place in history is centered around humanity because before humanity, nothing matters and there is no after humanity. So humanity is the setting and the characters of the story. Honestly, like, I don't know how much you've studied cosmology and you've looked at um, like the, the nature of the universe and where we come from. And there's like some, like just some curiosity about what's out there. But when you start to talk about the fact that, you know, they're estimating that in 50 million years, the sun is going to like become supernova and basically suck up the whole solar system. Our answer is, I don't care. <laughs> Why? We're not going to be there. It doesn't matter. When you look at the formation of stars in, in distant galaxies, it's a, it's a curiosity. It's interesting, but it doesn't really matter to us because it doesn't affect us. Fundamentally, we don't care about rocks and energy until you put them in the form of humans. Now, why is that? Well, let's keep going. So we've got the first part is um, the period where, where the story happens, and it starts with humans. So we, we have that, and we're still in the age of humans, unfortunately, because we're not good at this whole thing ruling the earth, but we're in, in the age of humans. And then the second part is duration. And that's the story's length through time. So we have the period where it is. And then, we, then we're asking the question, how epic is the story? How does it go? Has anybody been watching the Isaac Asimov? Um, it's a novel that they adapt on Apple TV called Foundation. You're loving it. Oh, my gosh. It's maybe the greatest sci-fi of all time. Go watch it. You'll, you'll, you, will, you will thank me for it. But it's a story, and they're, they're struggling to tell the story because it spans literally tens of thousands of years. It's an empire that lasts over not just this you know, intergalactic empire, but is itself over the course of tens of thousands of years. How do you tell a story that that's, that's that long? The answer is we're in the middle of one of these epic long stories. The period of this story started somewhere around three to 7,000 BC when humans did this. Now, I, I don't want to get into the origins of humans because everybody gets super weird about it. But sometimes six to 10,000 years ago, humans just exploded into the scene and became the thing on earth. We started ruling over the earth sometime between six and 10,000 years ago. 
And that's just reality. You've got you've to deal with that, okay? Six to 10,000 years ago, that's when the story started. And it's been going for that long and is probably going to go for some time longer. And what we're told is this story is never ending, is that we as humans are not mere mortals, but we have this soul that cannot be destroyed, something inside of us about that Imago day that goes on and on and on. This story, it goes on for these four, eight, 10,000 years. And it seems like the story that we're reading in the Bible, it ends around 90 AD, but, but it really doesn't. It tells this story when we see looking forward in Daniel and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Revelation that there's this story that goes on and on and on that we are a part of. First John chapter 2.17 says, And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave, but everyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So this story doesn't have an end. We belong to God forever. And Second Peter chapter 3 says, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. A thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroys, destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Have you ever read that verse before? To me, this is one of the most comforting passages in all of Scripture. It helps me make sense of the senselessness of our world. Because we look around and we ache for justice. We look around at what's happening in right now in Ukraine and Israel and we say, this is not how things were meant to be. And we see God waiting to set things right and let millions of people, women and children and pregnant women walking, you know, just imagine someone with no resources walking hundreds and hundreds of miles to try to find safety, to try to find food, to try to find clean water. And you look at this world and you say, God, why are you waiting? It's time to set things right because this cannot go on any longer. And then we read Second Peter and we see the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some of you are thinking. He's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed but he wants everyone to repent and belong to him. And so when you're wondering why God's waiting, it's because out of his great love, he looks at you and me and he looks at Hamas and Israel and he looks at Ukraine and Russia and says, the only way to get rid of war is to get rid of people. And the people I have on this earth are the ones I'm here to save. And so when we look at the story and we wonder our place in it, we say, God is still trying to win back his bride. And we keep spurning him. We keep turning him away. We keep saying, I want to go my own way and I want to, I want to be free of the shackles of the relationship that you want. And he sit, stands there and says, I'll wait. I'll wait till the end of time for you to belong and be a part of my people. We have to understand a little bit about where we are in the story to make sense of it. First Thessalonians chapter 5 says this, and now, now concerning how and when all this is going to happen, dear brothers and sisters, uh, we don't really need to write to you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's turn, return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. And when people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains began. And there will be no escape. I, I love that because 
pregnancy always comes on suddenly and there is no escape. <laughs> Both of those things are true. Um, first Thessalonians five is, is saying we won't know. And anybody who says that they know, they don't. Okay. They don't. Anybody who's prophesying about the end of the earth and you see all those dumb TikTok videos about people going, here's how we know Jesus is coming back in 2024. Stop following those people. Get them out of your life. They are, they are ruining the world by lying to you that they know. They don't. Jesus says he himself, that knowledge is being withheld from him from the Father because the day is coming in an unexpected manner. So we are in the kingdom right now. The kingdom has come in the first century in 1 Thessalonians 5. These are people who have experienced the kingdom of God coming in power, and they're still waiting, saying, when will the day of the Lord come, this, this great and terrible day of God's coming? When is it going to come? And that's where we get to the third part of our setting, is location. Location is the story's place in space. And I'm going to read to you something super cool. You ready? All right. Hail Arendelle the brightest of angels, sent to men over middle earth and true radiance of the sun. Find beyond stars, you always illuminate from yourself every season as you, God, holy born of God, son of the true father, were ever in the glory of heaven without beginning. So now your own creation awaits you through eternity and need that you send to us that bright sun and you yourself come so that you illuminate those who for the longest time covered by smoke and in darkness here, dwelled in continual night, enfolded in sins. They had to endure the dark shadow of death. Now we believe in joyful salvation brought to people through the word of God, which in the beginning was the Father Almighty, jointly eternal with God, and now again became the flesh without sin that the virgin bore. Through suffering to safety, God was with us, Seen among sins, the mighty child of fate and the son of man dwelt together. United amidst the people, we may express our thanks to the Lord of victory, always through our deeds, because he wanted to send himself to us. I love this poem. It sounds a little bit like Lord of the Rings, right? You got the Arendelle and you got the Middle Earth. That's because J.R.L. Tolkien loved this poem. This poem is a 1,300-year-old poem written by a poet named Cinewolf, and it's called Christ One, and it is an Anglo-Saxon poet of the 8th century. This is literally one of the oldest writings in the English language, okay? This is older than Beowulf, in case, you, in case you're wondering. That's probably something you read. So, so why am I talking about this English poet from this many years ago is because we have been telling the story over and over again about where we are in the story. We have to understand our place in it. We are the men who are on Middle Earth, who are waiting for the redemption that we're hoping for. Middle Earth to, to this writer and then to Tolkien later is this dwelling place of man between the worlds of God and the worlds of the darkness. It's the place of battle, the middle between darkness and light, between good and evil, between heaven and hell, between God and his enemies. This is where we are in the story. And so when we're surprised by the battle raging around us, don't be surprised. We are in the battlefield. 
we are the very setting itself is the battle between darkness and light. Hebrews 11 says, by faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. This world came out of nowhere so that we might be in God's place. And then the last part of the story, the last part of setting in our story, the level of conflict is the story's position on the hierarchy of human struggles. I think that's self-explanatory. No, just kidding. <laughs> the level of conflict is a story's position on the hierarchy of human struggles. So this is basically, is it a little story or is it a big story? Now, little stories are about leaves that get pink slips. It's a very small story about a very small thing that doesn't really matter to anybody. And actually, one of the announcements is, in two weeks, we're going to be raking up those leaves here. So keep that in the back of your mind. Um, there's little stories and there's big stories. There's stories about things that don't matter. Um, we've, seen, we've all seen those movies where you're like, uh, th that whole story was about an argument between a husband and a wife and it didn't resolve. And you're wondering, why did I, why did I watch that whole 90-minute movie? It's because they can sell a 90-minute movie for $11 at the movie theaters. Now, there's really big stories. They're giant, epic stories that have to be told over you know, a 20-part miniseries. And those are the, those are the best stories, the, the stories that shape you know, these epochs of time and are about small stories that are a part of a bigger story. And that's the level of conflict that this story takes place. This is the most important story that's ever existed because it's about how God is making all things right, how God has created all things, how it was ripped from his hand, how he has been pining and working and aching to create a, a space where he could belong with his people again. And then he takes on the cost of our sin and death so that we might be reunited with him now and wait for that final unveiling. Romans 1 says this. They know the truth about God because he made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Though everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities. This is, this is what we call natural theology. That when we as humans look around and we make meaning of the world, we say, I was placed here. I didn't put myself here. Something made all these things and put me here and gave me this mind that allows me to make sense of things. And so I have to spend my life seeking out who this person, this, this unknown force in the universe is. So they have no excuse for knowing God, Paul says. Yes, they knew God, but they, they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. And of course, he's, he's speaking to the Rome, the church in Rome, that is just inundated with all of these made-up gods trying to make sense of what they saw in the world. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things that God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. You see, the stories that we tell matter. How we see ourselves in the story matters. 
and understand the story of the gospel, we need to understand where we are in the story. The good news of Jesus is set here in this middle earth, the dwelling place of man. It's a story about the way that God created all things to live with him. Creation, humanity, we rebelled and we decided that we preferred freedom and death to the life and the joy of God. And the rest of the story is this divine romance of God trying to win back humanity to himself, to overcome sin and death, and to redeem us to himself so that we might be truly reunited with him. This is what Scott McKnight says. The story of Jesus Christ then isn't a story that came out of nowhere like the Book of Mormon. And it isn't a timeless set of ideas as with Plato's philosophical writings. The story of Jesus Christ is locked into a single people, one history and one scripture, and it makes sense only as it follows and completes the story of Israel. And this is where we will take our next step, is we're going to look at what does it mean for the story to be told, to be experienced, and to be passed along by a people that God set aside to be the bearers of the story? And how do we take on that identity ourselves as the ones who will live and who will bear the stories to the next generation? So I'm going to invite the band to come up, and we're going to finish up the sermon on time, mind you. Mark that down, Matt. (laughs) That's one. (laughs) Um, And I, I do want to take a second and... In a few minutes after the song, during the song, we're going to take communion. After the song, we're going to share some stories. And um, storytelling is a part of who we are. That's part of the reason why we're doing this, telling the story thing. And so I, I want you to take a few moments to think about what story is God writing in your life right now? What has he been up to? What has he saved you from? What is he bringing freedom in your life for? How has he spoken to you and brought you along? Where are you in the pit of struggle and waiting on God? All those things are stories that we need to tell so that we can see our place in the story. Lord Jesus, uh, story is what we do. It's who we are. It's what people do. But we want to make sure we get the story right. And we want to make sure that we understand who the hero is in our story and what place we have in it. So, Lord God, make it clear to us as we read the scriptures, as we seek you, that we understand where we belong and what you're doing in the midst of us. As we come forward and receive communion, Lord, may the table remind us of the story. May it remind us throughout the year of what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane as you struggled, as you you overcame the temptation to walk away from your work. And that happened on the road to Golgotha as blood flowed from your body. That happened on the cross as your side was split open and water and blood flowed forth. That happened in the courtyard of the Sanhedrin where your legs were battered, your bones were broken, your skull was crushed. Lord God, all these ways that you... You gave up yourself so that we might have life. Remind us of the story so we don't miss out on the blessing of being united with you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org slash connection 
where you can fill out the Connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at Redemption Voices. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.